in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them touchy suckers like the f***ing players. I did want to get to this stat, too, from Steelers and Browns last night. Um, according to Josh Dubow, Jacoby Brissett has converted 31 of 32 quarterback sneaks on third or fourth and one in his career. I saw that one. One of those obscure, absolutely <laughs> amazing stats. So that makes him, what, number two behind Tom Brady, who's Probably. never failed? Probably. Yeah. Um, a little bit different frame for him, though. I know, but the most automatic play in the history of the NFL yeah. isn't like a handoff to the running back. It's Tom freaking Brady just walking sideways and then taking a step forward. Yeah. It's still one of my favorite roles of all time when Brissett was a Colt and they would have him come in when Philip Rivers was there for that yeah. one year. And Brissett's two jobs were to come in and run a quarterback sneak or come in and throw the Hail Mary. Yep. Because Philip Rivers' arm wasn't very strong anymore. So, Rubber band. Yeah. It was yeah. one of the funniest roles ever is their backup quarterback. Had a very two very specific roles that were very, very different. Which is weird because if he goes out there for the QB sneak and everybody knows it, like, you know it's coming. You but he still <laughs> converted it. Still I know. That's what's, what's so impressive about it. Yeah, it's a good question. The Celtics have suspended head coach M.A. Udoka for the 2022-2023 season. Sham Sharnia reported uh, earlier in the week that he had an inappropriate, intimate, consensual relationship with a female staffer. The Celtic statement yesterday when they announced the suspension did say that his future beyond one season will be determined at a later date. I read that and thought he's coached his last game for the Celtics because either the Celtics are going to fire him or what I think is more likely to happen, he will Walk. resign. Yeah. He will. I mean, the Celtics will push him out, but he will resign on mm -hmm. his own at some point in this process and he made a statement too, apologizing to the fans the organization his family all that other stuff and that he's not going to be pushing back on this at all what an absolute 180 turn for a guy that could have probably won nba coach of the year if you just took it from like the back half of the nba season and on something so frivolous and dumb to sacrifice all of that for I'm curious your thoughts on how the Celtics have handled this. I figured you'd ask me. Because they all right, they put out the statement yesterday, mm -hmm. but obviously the day before, they leaked information to Adrian Wojnarowski and Sham Sharnia, mm -hmm. right? That, 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 I highly doubt that came from Udoka. That right. came from the Celtics. And then they suspend him for a year, but they also kind of throw out there, well, we'll see if he's going to be back after a year. I almost feel like the Celtics leaked this and then the way their statement was worded, they're trying to just gauge public reaction exactly before they make doing. their official decision. This is exactly what they're doing because we all know that there's two sides to everything, right? And that there's going to be two sides of support. And I've spent a lot of time in the, in the city of Boston and just the East Coast. A lot of people are mad at this, at the one-year suspension and and just like any sort of repercussion. I mean, we saw Paul Pierce last night tweet about it. He said, fine, should just be it, not a not a suspension. I disagree. I, I, I think this is actually a very strong way to go at this. I think when you have a power dynamic, this isn't about sex, this is about power and inner team dynamics. 
and respecting that space and the journey that everybody's on, not just the players and the coaches, but everybody in that organization. And so I guess it's like always going to be up to the public, but I just, I have a hard time seeing him sitting out for a year and then returning other than doing like some sort of rehabilitatory process. But at the same time, it's a consensual relationship. Like that's not illegal. This isn't like some of the other stories we see where it's non-consensual or, or it's a sexual harassment thing or whatever. But at the same time, too much is given, much is expected. And you're a coach. You know better. The power dynamic is the interesting part because if Udoka, who is engaged, if he had slept with somebody outside the organization, mm -hmm. no problem. Happens, right. Well, nothing, I'm sure something happens. Nothing with this happens professionally. Nothing happens with the Celtics. Yes. But the thing that's weird to me after I thought about it from yesterday is that if he slept with somebody on the Celtics staff, and the Celtics determined that that was worthy of a one-year suspension. Mm -hmm. It has to be worthy of a firing. Agreed. Like I, I can't because if you're suspending him for a year, that's a, that's guys. People don't get suspended for a year. Like that's right. a, that's you're basically saying this was a serious problem. And my leap on that is that if if they deemed it a serious problem, he slept with somebody he had power over. I wonder right? if it's a legal thing though. I was about to say, maybe the way his contract is structured is they have to before, like... Full investigation. They, to, they No, they have to. It's, yeah, they kind of are like, all right, so we have to suspend him, and then... Yeah. I mean, it's a personal conduct violation, and there's, like, a whole whole protocol to go through. I just... The whole... The idea of a one-year suspension, just... That screams at me, yeah, you should fire that guy. Yeah. Like, there's... If you're going to... If you're going to deem the guy... Like, 10-game suspension for yeah. doing whatever you do for 10-game suspension, okay. But, but that's the thing. You're weighing what the current event is, and then they're also... But he also led us to the finals, and this is the pro... <laughs> like, this is the thing. If he hadn't led him to the finals and had the second half of the year that he did and the gelling of the team, and look at what, J what Jason Tatum can do and Jalen Brown. But now, they've had a whole summer of trade rumors. This happens. Like, the Celtics are circling the drain. They'd in my missed, mind, if they'd missed the playoffs. He would have already been fired. Hundred percent, a thousand percent. Wouldn't it be something if you had a dilemma as to uh, which way you go? You do that if he gets ten wins. Same thing that happened with Prescott. I think like that. So you'd want that? You'd want that controversy? Of course I would. Okay. Of course that means we'd won. If it comes in here and played as well as Prescott played, Rush played that well. Over these next games ahead, I'd walk New York to get there. That's Jerry Jones saying he wants a quarterback controversy. And I'll be honest, it's the least controversial thing I think he's ever said. Correct. Yeah. Of course he Makes wants a lot of Cooper sense Rush to, me. to win games and play well. Yeah. That way they can still make the playoffs. And then, hey, Dak's back. Well, this Cooper guy's led us to like four straight wins. Of course he should. He doesn't want Cooper Rush to suck. It's a scarcity mentality. Just because somebody else is having success doesn't mean that you can't also have success yourself. Right. He yep. should. Now, he doesn't want a quarterback controversy because Dak Prescott sucks and no. Cooper Rush sucks. But you want Cooper Rush to ascend to right. a level where he's pushing Dak. You're like, you better be on your mind your P's and Q's because otherwise we're going to have to go back to Coop. So it's like the most, the smartest mm -hmm. controversial take he's ever given is that, of course, I want my backup quarterback to be as good as my starter. Because why wouldn't you? The guy's got to play because Dak's hurt. That's not controversial. And neither was the Justin Fields comments earlier this week that he said that oh, with the fans. Me, yeah, do you, you have that audio? Well, I have the retraction. Okay. All right, play it. Yeah, let's do it. It's very long. It is? I was mad after the game. And, I mean, I'd, I'd like to address this now to get everything cleared up. But, you know, there was a 
thing that I said on Sunday after the game where I said, you know, um, the fans don't put in work. And when I was, you know, first off, um, you know, I was frustrated after the game. So, you know, number one, I didn't want to come and talk to you guys. Um, I wasn't in the mood to come and talk to you guys. So, um, you know, I should have did a better job explaining what I meant by that. But um, what I meant by that was I'm talking about work, you know, regarding uh, the game on Sunday, winning the game. You know, I don't know any fans. I don't know what they're doing in their personal lives. Um, and I respect every fan that we have. I'm, you know, glad that we have fans. So, um, you know, I would never disrespect, you know, anybody on what they do or what they love to do. Um, and, you know, that was, you know, it came off like that. And, of course, you know, some social media outlets, they, you know, quoted my quote and, you know, they got a big buzz on it. So, uh, of course, they did a great job doing that. And, of course, social media is going to do that. Did he go to the Josh McDaniel School of Elocution? <laughs> I do enjoy that he ended that by saying they quoted exactly what I said. Like he had no problem with that. Um, so his, if you missed it, just uh, Justin Fields initially said after the Bears lost to the Packers, it hurts more in the locker room than the Bears fans. At the end of the day, they aren't putting in any work. I see the guys in the locker room every day. I see how much they work they put in. Coming out of a disappointing loss like this, it hurts. And then that was his apology. Um, I think... That one, this is pretty simple. Yeah. Somebody with the Bears was like, hey, you you just can't say anything bad about the fans. Correct. Regardless of whether you believe it to be true or not. And he's you, right. You just can't say anything bad about the fans. Yeah. <laughs> just annoying. Just how, what, that's, you can't say that about us. We work really hard. We get here at 6 a.m. We tailgate and then we make the hot dogs and we have to walk up the stairs. We get our sausages and yeah. we eat them. Polish and then, sausage. Yeah, we drink our beer. They are Bears fans, and they've sucked for a long time. Yeah, I hate the Bears. <laughs> Dead cop! Man, you know, that's a great question. Uh, is Evgeny Malkin the best player in the NHL that hates the media? Oh. I don't know. Probably not. There's a lot of them. Nobody likes the media in the NHL. Yeah, but he's overt about it. Yeah. Did, did Do we remember who said... Doesn't matter what I say, Mike. You're going to write fucking every time. It doesn't said. matter what you say. But he was just mad at one guy. I mean, yesterday, and according to Taylor Haas, who covers the Penguins, Evgeny Malkin is tired of talking to the media. Yeah. Yesterday in the locker room, Evgeny Malkin pointed and told the media, look, Sid is here. And one of the reporters said, we want you. And Evgeny Malkin followed up with, I don't want you, Jesus. Oh, I read that as, I don't want you, Jesus. <laughs> but <laughs> I also I also look at... Uh, you brought a weird biblical angle to the show that I'm yeah. not comfortable with. Oh, trust me. It's, it's, it's one of the core parts of the personality. That's the fun part. But Gino's had a weird five months or so because this is a guy that was feeling very vulnerable, very hurt by the Pittsburgh Penguin organization that he has spent the entirety of his career with and won three cups for uh, and a couple MVPs, you know, it was like 10, 15 years ago. But like, regardless, it's been a really weird time for him. And I can understand his apprehension to want to talk, uh, especially with stuff that's going on in Russia as well. And so I can kind of understand the apprehension, but at the same time, it's part of the job. It's part of the bit. And uh, you are just as interesting as Sidney Crosby, Gino. Don't sell yourself short. Give him credit, though, for because this seems premeditated for him deciding when I'm in the locker room, as soon as Sidney Crosby shows up, I'm going to yell. Oh, Sid is here. I bet they've had this deal for a long time. <laughs> him and Sid are super tight like that. Like Sid <laughs> flew down to Florida because that's where Gino lives in the offseason when the contract negotiations were, were going on because Gino was feeling so offended that Sid went down there to basically comfort his friend. So, yeah, I think nice Sid kid. takes a lot on the nose for Gino. But that's what the C is for. Sorry. The Vikings host the Lions. Both teams are one and one. Is Kirk Cousins going to be good now that it is a Sunday morning game? No. 
I'm picking the Lions. <laughs> I'm picking the Lions, and it's not just because of Kirk Cousins' ineptitude. It's because I believe in whatever the Kool-Aid is being drunk. It doesn't there. matter if you have one ass cheek and three toes. Mm-hmm. I will beat your ass. I love that quote. So... If the Packers are the best team in that division, you think the Lions are the most likely to give them a run? This, oh God. I mean, we're two weeks away from the Vikings beating the I Packers mean, by like I feel 20. so blasphemous just saying that the Lions are even in a positive headspace right now. And I know the Vikings have a really good roster and likely to not have a showing like they did last week. But I really think that they're cooking something special up there. And incompetency is easy to replicate. So... I'm banking on it this week. All right. No no love for Kirk Cousins. I, Zero. Think, I still think it's the Vikings. I think it's well, the Vikings that will give the Packers. The I'm going to still wear my Daniil Hunter jersey and hope for the best. He usually takes individuals. Some reps he takes and some he does not. So, you know, he's out there every day. That's, that's the biggest thing for us. And he can switch it up when we want to switch it up. But there are some things he's got to get down. Then we put him in there and get him down. Well, he had some off last year. This is not a one-time thing. Again, it's not just him. We got about six, seven guys that we have days off for or predicated days off. So, you know, we call them veteran days for ourselves, but they get all their work in. They get their workouts in. They study tape. They watch practice. Some of them even do individual periods. So, and again, it's not just him. And he had days off last year as the same. That was entirely too long, and now we're going to break. But first, <laughs> we're giving away a six-foot classic sub from Porta uh, Subs, and you'll be qualified to win a new Yeti cooler from Finley Volvo Cars. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. Caller number six right now will win a six-foot classic sub from Porta Subs and be qualified to win a new Yeti cooler thanks to Finley Volvo Cars Las Vegas. That's caller six at 702-364-1100. Yeah, it's a good question. And again, uh, you know, preseason is going to be really valuable uh, for those players. You know, Laurent Brassois isn't going to be part of uh, uh, training camp. He's a proven NHL goalie. I believe he's 29 years old. He's, uh, you know, played in the league a long time. Uh, Logan Thompson is, uh, is a goalie that I think made a really good impression on uh, everyone in the organization. Obviously, his body of work is very small, but his talent is uh, uh, very noticeable. And Aiden Hill is a goalie that, for me, is going to be in a situation where he's got a chance to be successful. And uh, I think that will, you know, that's going to answer itself. Uh, you know, and it's, uh, you know, probably how it uh, should be. There's internal competition for jobs, right? That's, uh, that's the nature of training camp. That's the nature of preseason. You know, we want those players to uh, help us make our decisions, right? If you let them play long enough, they make the decisions for you. So that's, uh, that's how we'll approach the goaltending. You know, I do expect that, uh, you know, Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson will get a lot of work uh, through the preseason uh, in our seven games. We expect they'll be in the net a lot. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. Yeah, it's a good question. Lindsey Brown is in today for Ed Greeny. Uh, make sure on Sunday you head out to the M Resort for the Raiders and Titans watch party with Raider Nation Radio. Q will be out there. It's a 10 a.m. game early morning game. Uh, so head out there, the M resort for Raiders and Titans, the watch party where Raider nation radio will be um, also coming up in about 20 minutes, new comedy club out at the sun coast. And we got tickets to it for this Saturday. That was Kelly McCrimmon talking uh, great about answer the, to a better question about the goaltending situation. And here's my main question on the goalies. What happens if it doesn't work itself out? Like, it sounds nice to be like the goalies are going to compete. Mm-hmm. But what happens if neither one actually separates and is like, oh, clearly he's a good goalie. Clearly he's the starter. You score more goals than the other team. 
competition doesn't end in training camp, guys. This is a this is a season long thing, and that's why I, I I posed the question to Kelly about the net mining situation because this organization's never had this unanswered question, at least to this level. We've always had a veteran net miner, and you can say, you know, he kind of like, well, Aiden Hill's been in this league for they haven't been starters. We have always had, uh, uh, we've always known who our starter is going to be. And you guys mentioned a few weeks ago, he, Kelly McCrimmon said, well, it's Logan Thompson's job to lose. And that was a very different answer they gave yesterday because now you're in camp mode and you have to make sure that you set the table right for Logan Thompson because this guy, um, I mentioned on the, on the show when I was here on Tuesday, the mentality, the motor, the competitive fire that this guy has. I noticed something that was something that stood out to me last year that was severely lacking after Marc-Andre Fleury left, and that was the competitive chirping between Annette Miner and Jonathan Marcheseau. Because without that, that is a completely empty, quiet arena. It's just a hockey practice. And you need to have that kind of like palpable string of energy, of spirit. And at the same time, as you mentioned, Logan Thompson, hugely talented, but he's raw. And he's going to get himself into positions where it'll be a compromising place for him as a netminder and for the defenseman. But you have to ride it out. And he has to mentally go through those adverse reps and come out from them from the other side. But you have to look at those veteran netminders who had time in this league to help supplement that, to help lead him in figuring out what a starting job looks like in this league and what's expected because it's an absolute mental grind more than it is physically. So how good do you think he can be? We've seen, what is it, 16 Mm. games in the NHL um, last season to end the year, and he was excellent. Mm -hmm. It was very good, but it's a very, very small sample size. Like, is the higher end outcome the possibility for Logan Thompson? Is the higher end he's a top 10 goalie in the league? I don't know about that, but he's a catalyst. He's a catalyst type of guy. And not all goalies are like that. Some people just have the ability to not make the save, but the save means more. There's so many instances where you'll see a goalie make a big save on a breakaway on a two-on-one or something, and then it'll go back down the other way within the next like 15, 20 seconds, and that goal is scored. That is directly off of the momentum, off that save, whether it's made in a way that was, was crazy or it was a chance that was assumed to go in. He absolutely he ha- he has no ceiling technically because he is such a physical freak. Like in terms of the way that he sits in his stance, the term in the way that he springs to make his saves. Like he's a very reactionary goalie, but he's going to have to be on his angles. And so again, it's that that maturity and that mental game to make sure that you're not getting outside of yourself, not getting outside of what you're capable of, especially when things aren't going well or if your team is pressing because it's very easy to get lost in the sauce when you're in the crease. I cannot wait until she has to co-host with Ed and uses the word momentum. First of all, great. Yeah. Second of all, it's a great word. It's yeah. It'll be something. No, it'll be something when he catches you saying it. Second, is it possible that Logan Thompson will play himself off the roster if he plays well enough? They won't be able to afford it. That's always that's a great (laughs) problem to have. They'll have cap space at some point in the future. Why do you think that? Well, what, the, what has what evidence they, they do you will, have right. that they will, they will ever? It. They will spend it eventually. Well, if he's good enough, they'll trade him for somebody that's thirty-two. Uh, it'll be great. But <laughs> hopefully, they, they take some notes and don't go through that again because this is the first time that they've had somebody that's homegrown, right? You know, he's goaltender of the year for the age for for Henderson a couple at, years at back. Literally any position. Yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> that's what I mean. They're handling this a lot differently than they've had to, and you can't just you know put this guy out there and if he fails, just give him the the hook. Because he's supposed to be your future. That's what you've dubbed him as. That's what you've developed him for. So I asked you, is the high-end ceiling for him top 10 in the league? 
if he's, let's say, the 20th best goalie in the NHL, 22nd, I don't know what number you want to put on there, but if he's, let's just go with 20th. Can this team win the Stanley Cup if their goalie's the 20th best in a 32 you can win. League? You can win a Stanley Cup with somebody who's not top top 20 yeah. as long as you get hot at the right time. Yeah, you can win a Stanley Cup by pulling Flurry. But I don't like thinking about it in top 20. I think this guy is going to be able to keep his save percentage above 90 because if you're sub 90 in any league, you're not going to be keeping your your job very long if you're a goaltender. As long as he keeps his goals against average more close to the two rather than the two five or the three per game, he's going to be fine. Don't expect the world from him yet. You just have to expect him to not be a minus, and that's going to be more than enough of a challenge for him. So can they win if their goalie's a, a, no. a, a neutral? You say don't be a minus if he's just a net. Well, it depends on the rest of the team, neutral. though, too. Right, I'm saying is the rest of this team good enough to win if the goalie's just a completely at the most average goalie in the league? Can no, they because the if you're Cup? giving up more goals than you're scoring, you're going to end up more on the losing column than the winning one. So I was right. Yeah, hockey's very simple, very complicated <laughs> at the same time. You know, it, it there's a lot of unanswered questions with this team, and that's a very um, uncomfortable position for a lot of us as fans, as community members, because there's always been so much that we've known. And so... I, and I think it's kind of a, a nice thing to have a little bit of an unwritten story. Do you like Aiden Hill's pads? I love Aiden Hill's pads. Should, I'm a huge fan. Should every Golden Knights goalie have solid gold pads or close to solid I'm, gold pads? Well, I know that Tom, Thompson has some, too. He was wearing his road pads yesterday because these guys get multiple pairs. I was like, could you imagine spending that much money? Because those are like the leg pillows are at least 1200 each. And so um, I think you would probably want to lean on that, especially with the gold jerseys, right? But there is such a thing as too much gold. No, not if, for the if it's not matching, what if not it's not matching? Gold. I don't care. I don't. I'm tired of hearing I don't about like this. The glitter. Gold doesn't match. We can't. I'm tired of hearing. You don't like the glitter I don't on the gold like jerseys. The they it's look. The, they look good from the press box, but like up close, I'm not as big of a fan. But that's that's. You, well, you're not up on the ice. That's I, fine. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Hockey jerseys are just one of the very few things that I have like strong opinions on. The the glitter is great. It's phenomenal. It's your personal opinions. It's sir. phenomenal. I just it's, it's like the one thing that if it was hanging in my team. locker, I would just be like, this is what I'm wearing. <laughs> but I'll, I'll take the go- if I have to see the gold jerseys being worn for every single home game and we can get rid of the gold and chrome domes. That's a worthy sacrifice. I'm willing to make because those helmets are the worst thing <laughs> ever. I have to wear sunglasses up in the press box when they play in them because I literally get a migraine fax. They're not very good. The golden chrome domes. I, I appreci- they're awful. I appreciate the idea and the effort. To no. do something outlandish with your jerseys or your helmets. Jerseys, yes, helmets, no. But I don't like those. They're I don't just, like the Silver Knights ones either. Obnoxious. They're too bright. I don't know how these guys play with them. <laughs> I would I, I would have to have shades on. It would drive me nuts, but it's different when you're on this. There was a few people that had like a goalie. One of the girls I grew up playing with, she had a goalie mask that was like the Silver Knights um, helmets. And it was just like, oh, I don't like. Well, it's probably good as a goalie. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, if so, you're the only yeah. one that's wearing it, but if everybody else is wearing it around you, not so much. I mean, if you if it can give the other team migraines. Like, exactly. Phew, exactly. An advantage. That's what they tried to do in the Patrick Marleau game last year. Was it the year before he set the record for most games played? And then they wore the golden chrome domes just for all those pictures. I'm like, I'll never forgive them. For that. <laughs> At least they flew their fa- his family out and put him up in the, the big suite, though. All right. Coming up next, we'll jump into some UNLV football because they're going to be three and one, aren't they? We had ups and downs last year, but I want to say that we won the fourth quarter and I think it was 10 of 12 games maybe, you know, so we just continue to get better and we don't worry about the score and we just keep playing. So that was the message uh, in that huddle on, on uh, Saturday afternoon. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Is it bringing a 
We're going to have tickets to the Bonkers Comedy Club out at the Sun Coast in a few minutes. Lindsey Brown is in today for Ed Graney. Jared, who was that talking about, God, that's a hell of a moral victory. We won the fourth quarter of nine that of the last ten games. My, my favorite, God. my new favorite, and by favorite, I mean kind of hate, Shane Beamer. That is an unbelievable moral victory quote. Gee, we won the fourth quarter in not not even every game, just nine. That's that's brutal. If a coach does that, he should be fired immediately. Um, Lindsay, I missed this earlier, but I had a tweet from a guy named Ryan who says, as a fellow Vikings fan, I got to ask what Lindsay knows about developing quarterbacks long term. <laughs> we don't have a lot of uh, history with that with well, our team, do we? Uh, I mean, Randy Moss always liked Jeff George. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the the bat, we had it, and it was Teddy Bridgewater, and then his knee combusted on a non-contact play, and then we traded a first-round pick for Sam Bradford, and the rest is history there. And just so you know, Danny mm-hmm. uh, followed up with, what are you talking about? The Vikings helped Favre and Rodgers develop into great NFC North. That's Coast. true. <laughs> That's true. That one shining moment. That was fun. So UNLV football, they are on the road this week. They play Utah State tomorrow, 4 o'clock. You can hear it right here on ESPN Las Vegas with Russ Langer and Caleb Herring. UNLV is actually favored in a road game against Utah State, which is an, still sort of an unbelievable thing to say. They mm-hmm. are 1-9 on the road under Marcus Arroyo. They beat New Mexico last season. That was uh, the first road when I believe that was the first win period for Marcus Arroyo. Here's the thing with Utah State. They're one and two. They beat UConn to open the season. UConn is a dreadful FBS program, maybe the worst in the entire country. Then Utah State went and played Alabama and got crushed as expected. But the big issue with Utah State is they just lost 35 to 7 to Weber State, an FCS opponent. That's brutal and they won the conference last year yes utah state was the conference champion last season uh also in that loss to weber state they lost a starting wide receiver and a starting defensive lineman their quarterback has not played very well he's coming back from an injury from last season and he has been pretty bad so far this season combine that with unlv being two and one and unlv rolling through north texas who is not an abysmal program, right? Momentum. Not, oh boy. They're not great, but they, they crushed them in the second half of that game. One by what is that? Three touchdowns, four touchdowns. They absolutely demolished them. And all of a sudden UNLV is favored on the road against last year's conference champion. It's still hard for me to say yesterday on the show, Ed and I were trying to figure this out. I feel like this is a trap, right? Like I expect UNLV to go win this game. I think they're going into Utah State and they're coming out with a double-digit win. I don't even think it's going to be remotely close. And why not? They're favored. But the reason I'm sitting here saying this has to be a trap, it's UNLV football. This... It's not a good program. This is not something where... There's there's never been this much positivity about UNLV in a decade, right? Ed Graney's on this show saying they're going to a bowl game. Mike Ramallah's on this show saying they're going to a bowl game. Brad Powers came on this show and said not just a bowl game, they could contend for the Mountain West Championship... Man, on Tuesday, we're talking about the stability at the quarterback right. position that they haven't had since 1998. Doug Brumfield's been great. I'm sitting here saying, like, of course they're going on the road and winning. Yeah. They're favored. Like, it, it's the most positivity I have seen about this program since I've been here. It has to be a trap, but I still think they're winning by 10. Yeah, and and it might be. And if they lose, then it's kind of like, well, maybe we're not as far uh, along as we, we had uh, previously thought. But what if they do win? Like, what... 
They're three and one. What, what a different right. place that we're in. And I think these guys know that opportunity and just seeing what this program has been through these last few years under, under Arroyo and him coming in during the pandemic. Like he talked a lot about last year, how he felt that first year. He never really got his feet set because you couldn't practice the same amount. You couldn't be around the players the same amount, all those other things. Like maybe this is finally just seeing some seeds pop up from the ground and, and, and we're seeing a little bit of a crop. I, why wouldn't you? All the things that you've laid out in front of me, and I'm not the biggest UNLV football person or, or college football person in general, but the calculus makes sense. So why wouldn't they? Why, why, why can't we just jump on this and say, let's ride this momentum for once because it's UNLV football. Who knows when it's going to come around again? The last time they were two and one, they lost six straight games. So yep. the, that momentum didn't work out well for them. It's almost like momentum is purely predicated on who scores the most points. <laughs> it's a real thing. It's a tangent. You're going to get yelled about this a lot. That's fine. It's, it can uh, be one of our things. So the defense has been better. Uh, that's, I think, been a big improvement for this team because they've had like the worst defense in the conference almost every year mm-hmm. forever. But the biggest thing is the quarterback playing Doug Brumfield. Great against Idaho State. That's a terrible FCS team. There's probably not a whole lot to take away from that. Wasn't that good against Cal? And the big difference in that game against Cal, compare, and by the way, he was very good against North Texas as well. But the big difference is the pressure on the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Idaho State got no pressure. North Texas got a little bit of pressure, but it was usually one guy and Brumfield is very good on his feet, was able to avoid that and would take off running. Right. The problem with Cal is there was often multiple guys that were able to get pressure on him. So Mm -hmm. he didn't have, he couldn't escape with his legs. He had to stand in there and take the hit and try to throw it. And that's the one game where he has actually struggled as a quarterback. And so what I'm curious for the entire season, but specifically with this game, mm-hmm. what does Brumfield look like? Because there's two stats that are fascinating to me. Utah State has one sack on the entire season. They've played Not three a lot games, of pressures coming up the gut. Then. And they've had one sack. That's horrific, right? Awful. That's awful. So I'm not going into this expecting Utah State to put a lot of pressure mm-hmm. on Brumfield. But they've played three games. And Utah State's already picked off six passes. They mm-hmm. did pick off Alabama. They have allowed the third lowest completion percentage in the Mountain West. So you got to take the underneath. Their pass defense has actually been solid Mm -hmm. without getting the sacks. So I don't know if that's a some weird stuff has happened on their defensive line in three games. Obviously, you play Alabama. You're not expecting to get to the quarterback against Alabama. But I, I don't know what to do with that because my general thought is that if Utah State doesn't get any pressure, Brumfield's going to be great. Yeah. But he's playing a defense that already has six picks and doesn't allow a very high completion percentage without getting the sack. So I'm, I'm curious to see how Brumfield plays because if he's not under pressure, I think he's going to be good, but there's a chance that he's bad under pressure in this game, given what Utah state's already done. Bold prediction. He rushes more than he passes. Like he rushes for more yards, more than yards he, or more, yeah, more yards. Okay. He rushes for more yards than he passes for. They probably lose. You Unless, think they have a spy for him most of the time? Well, the funny <laughs> thing, North Texas. Because that's really that. that's really the thing, right? Because if you have a if you have a weak defensive line, you maybe want to supplement that. Have somebody come up and blitz, or have a, have a safety step up, or somebody into the slot. But if they're doing so well in the secondary, why would you want to sacrifice that and you just rely on your strengths? But if he's a threat, then you almost have to have a spy. Otherwise, he's going to be able to kind of slither through. North Texas used a quarterback spy, and he wasn't fast enough 
to yeah. actually get to Doug Brumfield. And it's one of the funniest okay. things I've seen. So maybe there is it's similar uh, game plan, right. but maybe a better execution because you have a better athlete. And that's that's the other part is I'm curious to see at the end of the year how good North Texas is because yeah. generally that's a six-win team or whatever. Yep. But defense is hard to get going early in the season. Maybe they suck this year. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But I am curious to see like when they play a Utah State or anybody else in conference, is Doug Brumfield able to just run away from the entire defense? Because that, that's what he did to North Texas. He just ran away from the majority of those players. Right. I don't expect that to be the case, but it's possible. Like Utah State might put a linebacker to spy on him and he just doesn't get there. What I'm what I'd be wondering to see if Utah State and other teams do is if they pull back on the pass rush and go more contain with their edge rushers. Mm-hmm. Like you'll see that sometimes where it's yeah. clear the edge rushers job is not, they don't want them to get to the quarterback. They want them to keep the quarterback in the pocket. Absolutely. The problem though, is that Brumfield has been very good throwing from the pocket this year. Yeah. Like it's the same thing we try to do with Patrick Mahomes. Just keep him in the pocket. Right. He will hurt you there exactly. as well. So it's, it's, I'm fascinated to see. There's a lot of sort of, you know, he's been excellent, but I'm still curious sort of how this plays out. How good can Brumfield be? when he faces different defenses, when he's under pressure, when he can't run, whatever it is. But I don't know if Utah State's good enough to do that. Like, they got beat by Weber State by, like, three touchdowns. And how does UNLV handle being um, favored? Momentum. Well, momentum, of course, <laughs> your word. Um, but but just being in this place and, and building, it, it's, it's easy to kind of look ahead or, or get it too far ahead in the game and just not be where your feet are. This is a place that they haven't been for a very long time and a lot of positive momentum, and so... Um, now I'm just going to work it in subconsciously without even knowing it. You just pointed out. Now it's a thing. Damn it. It's not real. It is real. real. Okay. It is real. Hold on. I will say that it's real. Like if this team scores, they've got the momentum, but then when the other team scores, they have the momentum. So it's basically just follow the scoreboard. There's something in the air. You can just feel it. You can just feel it. I'm telling you guys, you guys may not have the wiring to feel said momentum, but it is there. It's not real. It is. Just like Santa. Momentum is... Okay, who had the momentum when they were up 20 at halftime for the Raiders? Momentum isn't always given just because you're, you score that you do a positive thing. It's fleeting. It's a presence. It's a spirit. So it's sort of... It's, you just called it fleeting. I feel like you just... Yeah, spirits are fleeting. You just proved no the opposite side of your argument. No, because you guys are assuming that momentum is an automatic whenever you find success, and that's not true. No, it's a tribute. It's it's literally post hoc ergo proctor hoc. After what now? The, after, therefore, because. You are attributing momentum after, rather than, like, you can't... If you could predict it, we would say that that's a real thing, but it's not, because people attribute things to momentum after they've already happened. I, it's real. <laughs> All right, we got tickets to give away. <laughs> there is a new comedy show at the Suncoast, the Bonkers Comedy Club. Every Saturday, shows at 7 and at 9, and we've got a pair of tickets for you. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. If you want to go out to the Suncoast, see the funniest stars for movies and TV, 702-364-1100 is the phone number. Be caller number six, and you'll win a pair of tickets to the Bonkers Comedy Club at the Suncoast. That's 702-364-1100. Like heading into the mini buy that you guys have, do you consider making any changes, whether quarterback play policy? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in that mindset. Um, I'm interested in reviewing this tape and looking at the totality of it and figuring out how we collectively get better. So the answer to that question is definitively no. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Probably should be yes. Should be. Lindsey Brown is in studio for Ed Graney today. Uh, Jared told me that he has a take, a serious take, on the Raiders and Titans. But before you say that, I got a text. 
during the break uh, that said, let me let me make sure I get this right. Jared just said something in Latin and it turned into the smartest thing I've ever heard him say. So you can only go down from oh. here. I'm just letting you know. You can only no, go down that's, from uh, here. I forgot. I, I, I wasn't playing my character right. All right. I'll, I'll go back to being stupid. Are soon. you giving a serious take now? Though? Yes. You're still going to yeah. do it. Okay. Um, the Raiders need to line up in 12 and 22 personnel this entire game. Because? Because the Titans are ranked third in rushing def- like rushing yards allowed, and they're, aver- they're allowing six yards per carry. So you want two running backs and two tight ends on the field. Yes, I, want, I, I think this should be that game, uh, the Jonas Gray game from the Patriots, that one time where they basically lined up with everyone, everyone there and just handed the ball off 50 times. Oh, and Mac Jones had like three pass attempts last year? No, this was different a, game. Jonas Gray was the game where uh, a random third string running back for the Patriots scored four touchdowns in a game and then was cut the next week. Yeah, this is this was back to the lacrosse ago. team. Yeah, yeah, it was years ago. Uh, the Mac Jones game was because it was because Mac it was Jones. a typhoon. It was windy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bad weather and rookie quarterback. <laughs> he can't throw anyways. Let I just alone need if you it's to look windy. good today, Mac. Uh, so if you're if you're going that Patriots way, which it's the Patriots way. Uh, which running back is it? Amir Abdullah? No, I is think it's Amir White. So you got to pick a random you, one. But it can't be you, Josh I, okay, but what I was also <laughs> thinking though is that would set up play action, and you would be able to literally have your tight ends chip the defensive ends and have one of your running backs basically go. Okay, where is uh, Simmons? Uh, I'm just gonna run at him, and that would give Derek Carr enough time to like. Okay, this guy's now open off of his chip. I think. One main issue is Darren Waller sucks at blocking. Yeah, that's why I went with that's He's, that's why I said two because yeah. So you might maybe Devonte Adams is good. He he probably might be good at blocking. he probably is a better run blocker than yeah. Darren Waller. There's a there's a really good chance he is. So you might need to go with Foster Moreau, and I'm blanking on the third tight end. But you might need to go with non Darren. Yeah, and Waller what you tight could ends. do then even even then is set up a set up Darren Waller as the split back, send him in motion, <laughs> split him out. I'm just saying, I would basically just c- control the clock, gash these guys running the ball, and basically take Derek Carr. If Derek Carr is going to make a throw, it needs to be on play action after he pretends to hand it to one of the two running backs standing beside him. It's going to, ooh, Jakob, that's who's going to get the four touchdowns. The fullback? You're going to He's going to get four touchdowns. All right. Um, you going back to being dumb? I don't know what you just said, most of that stuff. So I, I thought it was pretty smart. I enjoyed all That was of a it. great little bit there. Yeah. This is like back-to-back good segments from Jared. Yeah, I feel weird. Can we can we talk, can talk about, about Brett Favre? Can, oh, I was going to say, Somebody can we talk? Somebody has to. Can, can, we, can, we, can we talk about this guy? You sense any give up in the locker room? Hell no. Got <laughs> questions that. Phil. Beaver <laughs> and Phil. Can we talk about the <laughs> Title IX celebration? Oh, my God. No, we're going to talk about Brett Favre. All right. See, so there is a former director... Uh, the Mississippi Department of Human Services that entered a guilty plea yesterday, and he is now expected to cooperate with investigators. That guy, I believe, was facing like 70 years in prison uh, for his role in the Brett Favre siphoning off money from the Mississippi Welfare Fund. Uh, so Brett Favre, there's there's like 70-something million dollars that was taken from this Mississippi Welfare Fund that was spent inappropriately 8.1 of that went through Brett Favre. He got $1.1 million for speaking engagements. Which he never did. Right. Uh, $5 million went to the Southern Miss Volleyball Program where his daughter 
was playing. And then apparently $2 million went somehow to a pharmaceutical company that he was invested in. There was reporting. Oh, my God. That's uh, just the icing on the freaking cake on that one. There was. Bingo card. Big Pharma's involved. There, so <sighs> there could have been a, a Brett Favre sort of feigning ignorance defense here where he could have been like, I didn't know this money was coming from the welfare fund. I just thought I was getting money from the state of Mississippi. But... There was reporting from Mississippi Today uh, that there were te- text messages yeah. between Brett Favre and people of the former governor, Phil Bryant's staff, where Brett Favre, specific- he specifically asked, can the media find out about me getting this money? Can't blame the head trauma on that one, Brett. <laughs> so basically him admitting he knew this was all bad. He shouldn't yep. be doing any of this. And still went ahead. Well, the funny part is the response was, ah, oh, we do this all the time. Uh, no, the media never finds out. And then let's see if the governor's okay with it. Oh yeah. The governor's perfectly okay with all of that. Uh, former governor, Phil Bryant, not the current governor. So you're likely to have this John Davis guy who was, uh, with the department of human services, uh, go to prison, but for less time because he's going to cooperate here. I don't know what actually happens to Brett Favre. He might be going too, right? But that's, that would be my guess at the moment. <sighs> Is America ready for that? Brett Favre in prison. Because you know that there is just this love story. And trust me, the Vikings fan, I'm like, I have a Brett Favre jersey in purple. Like, there's always been this love affair with Brett Favre, and I'm just going to sling it. And I'm just going to send it, even if she doesn't want it. And it's just like, I don't know, that just really connected with a lot of people. And, you know, we know about what happened at the the Jets organization in his years there, and that wasn't uh, punished either. So hopefully comes down yeah. on this one. If this was Michael Vick, he would be in jail for 40 years. Thousand percent. The worst part of this isn't Brett Favre, though. The worst part of this is the state of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I believe, the poorest state mm-hmm. in the country. 20% and... of the population is like not even below the poverty line. They're buried under it. And he had no problem taking from yeah. them. And Zero. This is out of the welfare fund. This isn't like, oh, they have a fund for... Parks. Yeah, yeah this is a marijuana fund. Yeah, this is for people like that, that literally can't afford to yeah. survive. <laughs> and it's the same state, different governor now, that rejected federal aid for their mm-hmm. welfare fund earlier this year. Um, as somebody who lived there for 14 years, it's a brutal state. Not many reasons to want to actually go to that state and incompetent leadership is very high on the list as to why it's bad.